My final project um, investigates comedy podcast during social isolation due to COVID-19. Um, these podcasts provide social support uh, within their fan groups during these times of um, increased anxiety and uncertainty through laughter and comedy. Um, most of the time, these uh, podcast creators, um, entertainers, tend to keep things on the lighthearted side, even though there are some snippets of, you know, this is serious and we need to take it seriously, but they understand that sometimes laughter is the best medicine. And in order, you know, for us to de-stress, sometimes we need to take a step back from the problems we're facing and a step back from all that anxiety. Just to give a quick overview about what I'm going to talk about um, and just to give some structure to the podcast. First, I'm going to give some background information on the three podcasts that I chose to examine. Um, secondly, I'm going to talk about a interesting um, community formation that I found while viewing these podcasts as well as the YouTube comments. Um, and lastly, I'm just going to connect this um, interesting formation that I found to the readings that we've had in the semester. The three podcasts um, I examined for this project are actually podcasts I watch regularly, either on Spotify or YouTube. Um, so if you are interested in what I'm talking about or if you want to, you know, watch these podcasts, um, you know, I'll put the links to the YouTubes um, at the end of my blog post, which is going to accompany this podcast. But let's get into, you know, just background about the, the podcast and the creators themselves. Um, so the first podcast is called Tiny Meat Gang. It's a ridiculous name, but Noelle Miller and Cody Co. just make ridiculous jokes. So why not have a ridiculous podcast name? Um, so Noelle and, and Cody are in their late 20s, uh, going to their early 30s. Um, they both kind of got their start on Vine which seems so long ago now that TikTok is kind of taking over um, and Vine died. <laughs> so they've probably been around for, you know, at least a good seven years because I was watching them on Vine when I was in high school. Um, so that's kind of where I first encountered them. Um, they both have their own YouTube channels. They've had series together on YouTube, which are just so funny. Like, That's Cringe um, is one of their most popular uh, series of YouTube videos. Um, they also do like live stand-up, which is um, they do like a Tiny Meat Gang tour. Um, obviously, due to COVID, the upcoming tour dates have been canceled, which is sad because they had a world tour coming up, um, which is, you know, big for them. Um, they are based in LA, which I find important that, you know, they are facing stricter lockdown um, rules like we are in the New York City metro area. Um, just because they're halfway across the country doesn't mean that they're you know, not struggling with the social distancing rules that, you know, we're facing here in New York, if you do live in New York. Um, so, and they're also kind of facing that same fear and anxiety, um, mostly because LA is a big city and California is a big state, just like New York. So um, things can kind of take a turn for the worst. Um, and their comedy, um, just like a quick content overview, their comedy is kind of sometimes dark, inappropriate, immature, so, you know, if you have a problem with that, I'd stray away, but, um, I love it, it's just, you know, my sense of humor, 
Um, they kind of just talk about pop culture, sometimes news, sometimes politics, sometimes uh, programming because they used to be programmers. Um, and they're also gamers, so that comes up often. Um, but I think that their content's pretty much universal. The next podcast is called The Basement Yard, which stars Joe Sanagato and Danny LaPiori. Um, Joe Sanagato has been on YouTube for a number of years. I've watched him since I was in middle school, so he had to be around since like 2010. Maybe even earlier, maybe a little later. Um, he's extremely popular. His views range to basically in the millions almost on some of his videos. Um, Danny LaPiori, he kind of got his start on Vine as well as an entertainer, but he didn't do the YouTube thing. Um, he's kind of just an internet personality, but he's great. He's really funny. They're both great, great guys, and they're both, uh, again, in their late 20s to early 30s. Um, they're based in Queens, New York, which is extremely important because, you know, most of us do live in the New York metro area, and it's scary out here, and the social distancing is something very hard to deal with because in New York, you're constantly surrounded by people. You're constantly surrounded by strangers, friends, family. So, you know, social distancing is taking a toll. Um, they're also dealing with the same fear and anxiety that we all are having watching these cases grow. Thank God now they're finally dropping. Um, but, you know, it's very it's very relatable. What, what they talk about is very relatable um, in terms of this social distancing. Um, their content, just like another quick overview, same kind of content as Tiny Meat Gang. Um, inappropriate humor, sometimes dark humor, you know, stupid kind of jokes. Um, some people may call it immature, but it's funny. It's it's light comedy. Um, and they kind of talk about the same thing, just pop culture, um, you know, life in New York, stuff like that, um, movies. Um, they don't really have a strict, um, like, structure for the co- podcast. It's just they kind of bring up topics they want to talk about um, for the day. My last podcast is the Bodega Boys, and if you're from the Bronx, you know about them. Um, at least you follow them on Twitter. They are so funny. Um, they're they're uh, they have a like a HBO or Showtime uh, show which I don't watch because I don't have access to those networks. But, you know, it's nice to see people from the Bronx um, making it into having HBO or Showtime shows. It's so big. Um, so the creators are Jesus Nice and the Kid Miro. Um, they kind of go by their their nicknames. Um, they are based in the Bronx. Um, and they use mostly... Like they use mostly slang and and content that only people from like the Bronx or even the New York City metro area would kind of understand. Um, but you know, I think that their their content is pretty much universal. Like the other podcast, um, they are so funny. The only thing is that I don't um, watch as often as the other two just because their podcasts are much longer so the snippets i include are probably going to be longer because you know they kind of hold on to a joke for a while um but they're great and um they're from the bronx so i'm always gonna represent them um and yeah they're also older as well they are in probably their 30s um 
So, you know, for all three of these podcasts, if you're in your 20s, you live in a city and you are on the internet, you're going to get the jokes. You're going to get the content. Um, It's nothing very exclusive or or niche that I'm presenting. First, I'd like to talk about um, the podcast I'm studying in relation to um, rhetorical ecologies. So in Unframing Models of Public Distribution from Rhetorical Situation to Rhetorical Ecologies, Ed Bauer argues that our traditional model of rhetorical situation is just too rigid and does not account for the fluxes of rhetoric. Um, Ed Bauer emphasizes that we must redefine and recontextualize our rhetorical elements, uh, those being speaker, audience, and message, to account for these fluxes. This is why Ed Bauer frames rhetoric within an ecology, which is much more fluid and more helpful for understanding digital interactions. Um, Ecologies are defined as the pattern of relations between organisms and their environments. That comes from Merriam-Webster, just the simple definition. Um, So in this case, our environment um, is YouTube. Um, I mean, even broader, just the internet. Um, And our organisms are humans living during this time of self-isolation due to COVID. So this means that we're going to respond to things uh, differently um, than we usually would in a normal situation where we're not isolated or, um, you know, living through a global pandemic. Um, And the environment of YouTube is going to change. More people are going to be on it. It's going to become more uh, popular um, because people are going to want to watch stuff while they're home or maybe they have more time to watch stuff. So there's definitely a lot of fluxes. Um, and nothing's really fixed in this ecology. Importantly, Ed Bauer explains that situation bleeds into a concatenation of public interaction. Public interactions bleed into wider social processes. The elements of rhetorical situation simply bleed, which is important for understanding, you know, the fluxes within these podcast community formations. Um, the creators usually don't have a you know a specific topic list or, or rubric that they go by uh, during these episodes, um, meaning they don't really have a specific fixed exigence. Um, they have no plan or a very specific message to get across. Um, their message could just be positivity and just trying to entertain. That's what they could be conveying in every episode, but that's very broad. It's not fixed. Um, So since there's no fixed exigence, um, you know, audience reactions to these messages um, that the host convey um, is going to be mixed as well. So importantly, these creators push themselves during this time of isolation, um, and anxiety to still create, and they have to find new creative ways to do so, which makes things a lot more complicated. Um, They can't record in their normal studios. Um, Editing and um, posting may be delayed because they're all not working in one space, so there's going to be a lot of, like, sending things through, you know, Dropbox or whatever formats they use, and they're going to have to record differently, maybe via skype or or zoom and you know the interactions are going to be a lot different than in-person interactions um so it seems that they want to push out content 
to entertain people during these times, um, which, you know, is important because they could have took a break like most people. Um, they definitely had the means to, but they continued and chose to create. Um, but, you know, the content they talk about can mean different things to different people. Um, this is why our, you know, speaker audience message model cannot be fixed. Our speakers don't really know what they're talking about. They just think they're talking to entertain people. Our audience is going to respond to things differently now, and each person's going to have their own different response to the content that they're watching. Um, and the message is, is going to be mixed, or there's no message at all, or maybe the message is unclear. Um, so let's just take a, uh, a look at some specific um, examples to try to clear up my point. So drawing on Tiny Meat Gang um, and the comment about how they're not going to talk about it, like the running joke through the episode, um, because it makes people upset. They, you know, continue to keep talking about it. They come back to the coronavirus in each episode. So obviously they clearly do not care that they upset people. Um, but some people are upset um you know the comment i brought up before can we stop talking about this effing virus um but other people are you know happy that noelle and cody are talking about this um in the comment i mentioned before idk if this is unpopular uh opinion but i enjoyed the last podcast when you talked about it yeah people come here for an escape but they also want to hear your thoughts on it and also hear some jokes about the situation because that's how most people deal with it by laughing um so you could see that you know the speakers didn't want to convey a certain message about coronavirus um and they were just commenting on it and you know our audience took it in two different ways polar opposites stop talking about it or continue to talk about it so as you could see it's kind of a, a mix of opinions and um it can't be really you know defined in one 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 uh aspect or one sentence um, we can't say the audience responded in this way, positive. There was mixed feelings um, about talking about coronavirus. Um, the Basement Yard is obviously a comedy podcast, but uh, for the past few episodes, they've been reverting back to self-help um, during the quarantine. Um, you know, Danny brings it up and kind of picks on Joe for wanting to do self-help stuff. Um, and he says that he is, you know, jealous of Joe because he's doing the quarantine so good and and he's picking up new hobbies so I just want to play part of that clip for you here together I'm really trying to like the only thing that keeps me from losing my mind is like in the beginning of the quarantine I started just to feel like the days were just passing and I was like dude I, I feel like I'm wasting months of my life like you know how like they say like every cigarette you lose a day of your life or whatever the yeah, fuck yeah. like i feel like because of the quarantine like we're locked inside and it's like a very pessimistic way of looking at it it's like dude i'm just like my i'm being robbed of four or five months of my life so i was like i oh, need yeah. to just be super busy and just i don't know well that's not gonna keep you from going uh banana fruitcake over there yeah yeah but so i've been taking tubs man just a 
So as you can see, uh, Joe is basically expressing his feelings as to why he's been so productive. Um, I'm obviously not going to play a lot more, um, but he's talking about how he's reading books, watching Jeopardy, upping his exercise by doing really long runs that he never usually had time to do. Uh, he felt that before the quarantine, he didn't really have time to read books, and he's been reading so many more books. Um, so it seems kind of like self-help, self-helpish, like, you know, in order for us not to go insane and not to have a pessimistic outlook, we need to, you know, find new hobbies and do new things. Um, some people really, really like Joe's productivity. Um, so one person commented, said, I'm kind of with Joe. This quarantine has been great and I've both been productive and having a fun time. Um, so I think that's really important because this guy is basically saying like, yeah, um, you know, I feel you. I sh- we should be productive. We should be happy. Um, another person commented, so do neither of them own clocks, calendars, phones, or video co- game consoles? So this guy's basically saying, like, why are you giving us self-help? Like, can't you just play video games like a normal person? Like, that's how we're getting through it. I don't want to hear about this stuff. So, um, you know, again, another kind of mixed message and, you know, a mixed reaction from the audience um so it's definitely important that we understand that there's fluxes of how the conversations these hosts have are are perceived um lastly we have the bodega boys who (laughs) poke fun at andrew como um because there are people there's people selling um like I heart Andrew shirts because of the overwhelming support he's been receiving so I just wanted to pull up that clip it's kind of long so I might cut it short um but I'm going to pull it up and just play the beginning for you or maybe the end an Italian uncle that like is is a retired he looks like fucking Chuck Zito like how is that I mean it's, you know what it's like when you have like a homegirl and she's like attracted to a trash guy and you keep warning her and she's like I love him he's nice though he's nice though you gotta sit back and watch this you already know Andrew Cuomo's gonna be crappy he's not gonna answer her texts he's gonna like post up with some other girl on you know so basically the Susan Miro are poking fun at people who find Andrew Cuomo like sexy um that's kind of the drive to making these paper uh these um these shirts so um they're basically saying they're poking fun at people who like como like he looks like an old italian uncle but they're also kind of speaking to his politics saying that you know he's going to be a crappy boyfriend he's not going to answer texts but everyone's so infatuated with him now um so people some people would consider that like just on the surface level a joke about like how do you find like an old man like como attractive and why are all these girls making i heart andrew shirts silly but i think deeper down like why would they say something like that if they're not trying to make some type of political um you know poke at him that he's going to be a crappy boyfriend (laughs) you know he they could have just attacked his appearance the whole entire time um so then i found a comment later that kind of agreed with this um jab they made and it says the I Heart Andrew shirt might as well say I Heart Medicaid cuts during a pandemic because it kind of came out that he was cutting uh, Medicaid during this, but he's trying to, you know, position himself as a hero and a champion of the people, but yet he's cutting Medicaid. Um, 
So with all of this being said, um, it's obvious, as Ed Bauer argues, that there's no set point for the exigence. Um, and, you know, all these different type of messages or jokes bleed into other concerns that are not relevant on the surface, especially for the, the Susan Miro comments, um, as well as the Tiny Meat Gang comment, because basically they're saying we're going to have to talk about it. It's going on in our worlds. We can't not avoid this. Um, and, you know, these different messages are conveyed to the audience, um, as well as understood by each and every, you know, audience member in this ecology, and that's, you know, they express that in the comments. So within these ecologies, um, you know, our viewers try to assert, you know, their agency within the comments section. So YouTube is a place where identity often doesn't really exist in like a nice bio at the top of your page or, um, you know, a page of pictures or tweets to try to capture kind of who you are as a person. I mean, as much as the internet really allows us to see who people really are. Um, but the way you assert agency and identity is often in the comments of YouTube on something you've watched or listened to or feel that you have knowledge of. So in messy rhetoric, identity performance and rhetorical agency in online public forums, Gabriel and Pig argue that identity is exercised in untypical ways in which agents need to make claims to assert their credibility on a subject while their background, you know, who they are as people, um, their prior experience or just life experience as a whole is absent. Gabriel and Pig explain that identity building becomes a source of developing agency on online spaces. I think that these podcasts have very specific types of fan bases and, you know, fans often pick up um, things about their host, such as, you know, what they do with their lives, um, their personalities, um, or the personas they present, or even just like simplest, which I think is the most important, um, running jokes or bits across all the podcasts. Um, usually comedians always revert back to like one or two or three bits that they always do every podcast because it's funny and they find it funny and the audience finds it funny. So Gabriel and Pig observe the discourse in their forum which is like a science forum, and argue that the members perform identity as a means to access and approach the conversation by drawing on parts of their identity to accomplish goals within the conversation rather than their whole portraits of who they are as people. This is where I kind of draw my attention specifically to the comments because, um, you know, a forum is basically just people commenting back and forth on each other. So, so for Tiny Meat Gang, their fandom picks up on running jokes, um, and they point these jokes out in the comments to either, you know, insert themselves into the community of their conversation, or to gain some type of popularity or response from other viewers or even the hosts themselves. Um, so for, for one running joke, Noelle constantly um, ignores questions about his ethnicity or his race or where he grew up and stuff. Um, so, you know, his background is kind of absent, which I find interesting as well. Um, you know, we only really know him for what he reveals. Um, so he doesn't re reveal much about his background, but he reveals much about his personality and his personal life, which is weird. Um, so the fans in the comments always joke about his racial ambiguity because, you know, he never talks about it. So 
and the jokes kind of heightened because during quarantine he shaved his head on a stream um i don't know why he did maybe he was just tired of getting haircuts um so he just kind of looks more funny and now it's sparking up some more jokes in the comments about his racial ambiguity so one comment from the user named clean frame says how does noel's haircut make him look more racially ambiguous and it actually got i think a few likes which was kind of funny um because even now without hair they fans still can't figure out his background um for the basement yard one of the running bits is referring to joe and danny as ceo of something or referring to joe as like hobby joe or boss joe or um ceo joe you know based on his attitudes towards danny um in that day so if he's being particularly bossy to danny danny will be like oh look boss joe's coming out um so you know it's just like a running joke between them and it's also a running joke for the fan base um so user caitlin henderson comments danny equals a ceo of saying questionable things and immediately realizing that he probably shouldn't have said that um because in the video danny says something really stupid and you could see in his face that he shouldn't have said that um so you know we kind of and that kind of got a lot of likes because it's funny and it's true um another user named annie Berthold comments ceo joe is also the ceo of weird wizard of oz facts lol um so again in that episode joe goes off about wizard of oz facts that no one really knows so it's kind of funny and i don't think that got as many likes though um for the bodega boys um people pick up on this one running joke it's like a catchphrase basically it's like they say the brand or the brand is strong um so fans also like often copy that catchphrase from them um and use it when they're talking about episodes in the comments so one user i can't really pronounce his username but you'll see it when i link this to my blog post comments on a recent video saying the only thing that can kill the rona is the strength of the brand and i got 37 likes and i think it should have got more because it's funny um and because they think they're it was a coronavirus uh, episode where they're talking about it and another user commented on this tiger king episode that the brand is comfortable in their masculinity because they're talking about things that like most machismo kind of men wouldn't talk about and um it got 140 likes so obviously saying you know the brand is the way to get you know popularity or recognition in this community so ultimately the audience you know viewers are identity building within the framework of these shows and these communities through these running jokes catchphrases or bits and they exert some agency and credibility by saying these catchphrases jokes etc um by saying and it shows kind of them saying like hey i'm a regular here i know these people i know this show like you know my comments should get a lot of likes or you know you should engage with me because i know what the show's talking about and stuff and sometimes they they post these comments in hopes that the the host will see it and they'll find it funny and mention it in the next video or post it or something so i think that's just a interesting way of you know building credibility in these spaces where your identity is basically absent like some of these people didn't even have a picture um on their youtube page so for their like profile picture so it's a different way of building an identity in a place where identity seems absent and you know 
on YouTube, depending on what you watch, you can flex your credibility in different ways. So, you know, these podcasts, it's through jokes. If it's like a music video or a blogger or something, you would use other things to kind of exert who you are and what you know. So, like I said, um, a lot of these viewers post comments on the YouTube videos in hopes that the host will see them and maybe respond to them. Um, So the interactions between host and audience or speaker and audience becomes very interesting and a lot more complicated. In how we ought to understand the concept of rhetorical agency, Geisler states, My own work on personal digital assistance has led me to explore the kind of agency being exercised when a rhetor uses texts such as a to-do list to get herself to do something, like folding laundry, that she cannot manage to do otherwise. Here, rhetor and audience appear to occupy the subject position strategically fragmented in order to get work done. Though our hosts and our fans are not AIs unless the people who are commenting are like trolls, um, the line between um, rhetor and audience becomes blurred and, you know, a person can occupy both positions. Um, so this is especially important because the internet allows instant and permanent interaction, meaning the comments on the YouTube is pretty much permanent unless they get blocked or removed for spam or the, the person who comments removes it, which is, you know, not that often. So in this case, who the speaker is and who the audience is um, becomes blurred, and sometimes the host can be both speaker and audience. They speak as a rhetor in the videos, and they respond to other, they respond to other people comments, right? Um, so these people who are posting the comments are the rhetors as well. Um, so I think that, you know, when hosts respond to comments they saw on previous videos and new videos, they kind of occupy both the audience and the speaker position. Um, And the audience, while posting comments, also act in both the audience and speaker position. So here are, um, you know, some examples when the lines between speaker and audience get blurred. So we know that, you know, Tiny Meek Game responds to the hate comments about coronavirus, and they keep saying they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to talk about it. So and that uh, situation, they are um, occupying both the audience and the speaker position because they're responding to someone else's um, rhetoric or comment, and then they're also hosting a show for people to listen to. Um, So another user commented on an episode of Tiny Meat Gang, it's specifically episode 130, that they really do be listening to fans when they say switch the video so it can look like they're looking at each other. So uh, the first video done in quarantine, they're kind of like not looking at each other because they're doing it via Skype or Zoom. So they're looking at their computers and they're facing opposite ways. So whoever edited the video mirrored their images to make it look like they were facing each other as if they were in the studio. So they kind of, you know, listen to that comment and even their actions become that of someone receiving a message, making them the audience, but they're speaking on a video to people, so they're also the speaker. So I just find that really, like, it's a lot more complicated than we think it is when we look at digital rhetoric rather than, you know, someone presenting a speech on stage and then people reacting to that speech. Um, 
Another important example is in the beginning of The Basement Yard, episode 237. Danny points out that he's not ugly because everyone in the previous video kept saying he was looking ugly. The previous video is actually episode 235 that he's talking about. Um, and a user named iMessage commented, Danny looks a little rough. I hope he's doing all right. I mean, I hope that guy meant well, but there was probably more comments that I didn't see that Danny saw that said that he looks ugly. So this is just the clip because I find it funny and I want to share it. Welcome back to the basement yard. It's Danny and I'm not ugly. <laughs> yeah, why are you saying this? Because Every everybody like an episode or two ago was saying like, oh man, Danny looks like shit. First of all, I just got finished working out, okay? Wow. That's why my hair was all frizzly, and that's why I had a headband on, and then I got right into the show. I'm multitasking in this quarantine because if I don't, I'm going to be... So as you can see, he's pretty upset by it. Um, so again, Danny is occupying both the audience and speaker position because he's responding to someone else's comments, someone else's rhetoric about his appearance. And within the episode, he's telling the audience, I'm okay, and I'm not ugly. <laughs> so... At the same time, it becomes blurred. So overall, I just want to take from this that digital rhetoric is a lot more complicated than, you know, regular kind of speeches and stuff like that. There's a lot more going on just because interaction is a lot more fluid. Um, it's a, it's like a free platform, like anyone can post. Um, nothing is really regulated. So I just find it a lot more complicated. Yeah, you can see, you know, how the positivity is spread, um, you know, on this platform um, under the videos um, you know by viewing the comments which I'm gonna post on my blog so along with the interactions I've just observed I saw that content is kind of similar between these podcasts um, so ultimately you know during these times of self-isolation and during this pandemic it's always comforting to listen or watch something as a distraction to kind of get away from reality um, you know, the feelings we're feeling surrounding, you know, people being sick and dying and feeling like this pandemic is not going to have an end, that like our life is kind of changing in ways that we cannot comprehend yet. Um, and what, you know, distracts people is Netflix. <laughs> so Tiger King has strengthened a sense of community online for everybody. Everyone on Twitter is talking about it, posting memes about it, jokes about it. People on Instagram post memes about it. Um, people on TikTok even remixed Meg the Stallion's Savage to like a Tiger King joke. It's kind of funny um, if you look it up. And it's a challenge. Like people dress up as this Tiger King characters as Joe Exotic. So, you know, even online, this is a big thing. And even in the podcast, this is a big thing. Um, most of the hosts spend most of one episode or even two episodes talking about Tiger King because it's just. A crazy show and everyone's watching it so why not talk about it so I don't want to share um, the clips um, and the comments because it's just gonna be too long so I'm gonna post um, on my blog post parts of the episodes that have um, you know Tiger King conversations maybe I can even post the the audio I will post the audio um, and I'll show the comments underneath of people, you know, talking about the Tiger King and reacting to what the hosts are saying because, you know, the hosts are all going to say different things about the show. So I think that it's important to know that even though we're talking about the same subject, we all perceive it differently. Um, so, you know, most of these interactions are just the host talking about the show and um, viewers posting in conversation 
to what they're talking about with the show. Um, so this becomes a source of positivity because we're all trying to distract ourselves with a crazy show. And we're all trying to talk about a crazy show other than, you know, talking about what's going on in the world and the news. So this becomes a source of positivity. So this kind of positive community formation is observed by Peterson. You have got to be positive in which digital spaces offered emotional support for gay men living with HIV. Obviously, um, Tiger King isn't as serious as, you know, people suffering with HIV and, you know, most of us in self-isolation are home healthy watching these things. But I think that the emphasis on focusing on things that make us laugh and make us happy and make us surprised are a lot better than, um, you know, talking about the, you know, kind of bad things we're facing. Uh, depression, anxiety, fear. Um, so I think that's what Pat- Peterson's trying to get at. Just we have to talk about positive things. You cannot sit here and talk about negative things about your condition. Um, so I think this is, you know, important to focus on. So in these spaces that Peterson examines, participants are not to focus on death and dying, but on living and growing. Um, I think this is an important statement for our time you know, during COVID-19, because we are constantly flooding, flooded with horror stories about the pandemic, and we're just in a constant state of worry for our own health, our loved one's health, and for the world. You know, we don't know what's going to happen after this. So we kind of become fixated on the news, our problems, and our anxieties, when we should just focus on the present and how to deal with the present and what makes us happy in the present. So, like I said before, most people are dealing with the present by binge-watching Netflix shows, reading books, um, and stuff like that. So this is why kind of Tiger King has exploded everywhere during this time of quarantine because the show is ridiculously crazy. Um, I'm not going to talk about it and spoil it, but it's crazy. So I think that when these hosts and creators talk about and react to series like Tiger King, we kind of shift our focus from the horrors and anxieties that we're facing during social isolation to the enjoyable things that we can do because of social isolation, which is sitting on our couch, watching white people act foolish on TV and get caught in, you know, conspiracies and problems. So I think that these hosts are kind of spreading positivity and encouraging community support within their fan bases by talking about these trending Netflix shows or trending topics or, you know, the things that aren't related to corona that are going on right now so i think that these comedy shows within themselves focus on spreading positivity and you know for the fans they acknowledge this positivity and try to spread it in the comments so i'm gonna post some nice comments basically of people saying like thank you for you know still doing these podcasts it makes my day a little easier or some solidarity between maybe high school students or college students who are not going to have a graduation this month um, and stuff like that. So I think that this is important because these hosts could have took time off like everyone else and not do these podcasts, which are harder to do remotely because you have to, you know, Skype or, or Zoom or FaceTime each other to communicate. And then on top of that, you're not together to edit it. Um but they still chose to put out content to help these people in these times and to keep people occupied. To just wrap up this podcast, I want to talk about what I've learned while doing this project. So through this project, I understood the community formations for podcasts that I listen to regularly. 
This is something I would never consider. I barely considered myself a member of any community and that these podcasts were even considered a community. I just felt like podcasts were people who like to entertain putting out content and their viewers, just random people responding to this content in the comments or on Twitter or Instagram and stuff like that. And this project helped me understand the complexities of digital rhetoric, how situation tends to bleed or flux, how there is never really a single motive or exigence for rhetoric, especially digital rhetoric, especially for these podcasts, how identity is still present and exerted in different ways in a seemingly anonymous space, how the lines between audience and rhetoric are not always clear, and how we can often occupy both positions and how community is important for survival, which is key to getting through social isolation during COVID-19.